Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 7. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eyes? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrites, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide is the way to for the gate that is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those to enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. morning. About, um, I don't know now, I guess it's been probably uh, six or seven weeks ago, we began uh, looking at the book of Matthew, looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount, and with various individuals who have come in uh, at various times over these weeks, we've kind of broken it up a little bit, but the... Um, Reminder that I would have is that we did begin with chapter 5 and chapter 6, and today we're going to move on to chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. Uh, the scripture that I would like to use as a reminder to kind of get us warmed up again is Matthew 5.44, which um, brings us to the comment that says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. The Sermon on the Mount was never written with the idea of it being an easy scripture, um, as uh, it was a, uh, a very bold sermon preached by Jesus, uh, as he knew full well that his hearers might or might not uh, receive his words quickly and with great understanding. Yet, uh, Christ was never one to be timid about saying what he knew people needed to hear. Today, I'd just like for us to allow the words of Christ to challenge us all. When we read through chapters 5 and 6 of Matthew, we saw his teachings. 
Uh, we've listened to the Beatitudes, the, uh, the salt and light scripture about our challenge to be evangelical with the lives that we live. Even as we heard Christy talking this morning, uh, she's gone and been serving in Guatemala. We learned about the law. We learned about murder. learned about adultery, divorce, revenge, loving your enemies. All of these things are found in chapter 5 of Matthew. Chapter 6 dealt with almsgiving, our offering and our tithe. The fact that we owe our Lord uh, an appreciation for what He's given and should be returning to Him uh, what He has given us. It spoke of fasting. It spoke of, spoke of prayer spoke of treasures in heaven and our value system. Oh, all of the foundational kinds of issues that any man or woman could possibly want to understand what the expectation of God is can be found in these Scriptures. God's Word is not something that is so hidden you have to guess what He means. He's pretty clear in what He has said. And yet, it's much more than just an issue of what we memorize or what we know in our mind that He has taught us. <clears throat> the challenge for us is to determine what we're going to do with what we have learned. We come together as brothers and sisters in a family here. It's exciting to see you. It's encouraging to see you. I enjoy hearing the interaction and the, the sense of uh, camaraderie as we all continue to move forward through life together. At the same time, it's a challenge for us all because uh, we do have to determine if we're going to be obedient with the lives that we have. Recently, we've had a couple of guest speakers. One... Leon Smith, as he was giving the, the missionary method and the mission, uh, missionary challenge for our lives. We had Tawa Anderson challenging us with a, a, a thinking that would uh, demand that we would have an ability to express ourselves clearly enough that others would understand our faith as he talked regarding apologetics. Dr. Anderson's teaching was well-received. Most seem to grasp the idea of the argument. And yet I would say to you, as much as we appreciate the academic realities of needing to define what our faith is and how we think, we have to be careful that we can communicate it in a way that those listening can understand what we are saying. Uh, it is possible to use vocabulary that is so theological in, in, in intent that it absolutely speaks over the hearer's uh, ability to comprehend. Beyond that issue of trying to explain our faith and giving definition to it, for myself I have to confess my greater personal challenge is not always knowing how to explain it based on some course I've had or some biblical understanding that I have. My greater challenge is probably related to my own personal walk with God. Our decision-making in life is what we're looking at in chapter 7. Chapter 7 is about righteousness. It's about how to become a righteous person. But it's also talking about where our thinking comes from, where our values come from, how we answer questions, how we deal with life. For myself, as I've just confessed, 
It's not always that I have not memorized or learned a way to express why I believe this or why I believe that. Oftentimes my issue is the consistency of the life that I live is not up to par. I can come and I can play church and still have an emptiness, still have a gap that exists. I worry. I argue. I lose my temper. I get frustrated with others. I get frustrated with myself. I function independently of God's control. I leave my faith at the level of head knowledge often and ignore prayer. I pray and then I don't act in faith. Sometimes my body is at church, but my heart is not. I become insensitive to the needs of others. I selectively choose who I will befriend. Yes, I'm not willing to be like Paul. You know, Paul said, be like me. Look at me. Personally, I would not ask you or challenge you to be like me. I know my weaknesses. Studying the Scripture for describing our faith and putting forth an argument is very helpful. But personally, I know my weaknesses. And when I read Matthew 5.44, I am challenged greatly. And I repeat, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for those that despitefully use you or persecute you. You know, in Romans 7, it says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but instead I do the evil that I don't want to do. And that I keep doing. I would say to you that I'm probably not alone in my weaknesses. I'm probably not alone in the fact that uh, I, I often fail. But I'd like for you to think with me, Matthew 5.44, for just a moment before we get into Matthew 7. Matthew 5.44 says, Do you know of someone that you might see as your enemy? You know, it says we're to love our enemies. Can you think of anyone in your life that has ever been an enemy to you? The Scripture says we're supposed to love that person. Maybe they were an enemy toward things you were doing, places you were going, friends you had. We're supposed to love that enemy. Scripture goes on, have you ever had anyone curse you in word or in deed? Think about it. Someone you've known and known well, possibly. Possibly someone that was one of your best friends. You know, when Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Pretty strong language from one of your best friends. How did you respond? What did you do when someone dared to curse you? The Scripture says we're supposed to do what? Bless them. Bless them. Easy? 
Continuing in Matthew 5.44, has anyone ever said that they hated you? I hate you. How does that feel? Have you ever said it to your mother, to your father? In anger? I hate you. Scripture says to do good to those that would say that. Anyone ever use you or persecute you or what you did or how you acted for your thinking, for your values? The Scripture says that we're to pray for them. You know, saying something good to someone is one thing. Smiling at them is one thing. Praying for them means to really focus your total being toward God on behalf of another person. Not simple. You know, this Scripture is not easy Scripture. You say you're interested in being a disciple of Christ, good for you. Let's prove it. Today's Scripture, as we look at Matthew 7, is a challenge of our character. You know, there are a lot of places people would rather be on Sunday morning when the weather is good and clean and nice as it is today. But you folks are brave enough to come together here and allow God's Word to challenge you. Take advantage of it, but ask Him to work in your heart. As we walk today, think about it. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, hits a very difficult and very sensitive topic says very clearly that we are. it has something to do with judgment and how we judge other people. This is a type of Scripture that I personally like. The reason I like it is because it's clear, it's clean, and I don't have to guess. I went this time and I took the time because I kept looking at the words and thinking, this is so simple, I've got to find out what's going on. So I was looking up in the, my Greek lexicon trying to find out if there were any particular words that were more unique and had a deeper kind of meaning or something that was quite... And all I kept continuing... Continuing to find was, the Scripture is clear. There's nothing hidden. It doesn't take a genius to see what it's challenging us to do. The question is, what do I do with my Jesus? My goal was, and always is, to find the environmental background. And I found that it had no, no barrier there for us. It's too explicit. Very clear. So the question is how we deal with the truth. Whether today's message is considered a sermon, a Bible study, whatever you want to consider it, a lecture, that really doesn't matter. What I do consider is an opportunity to come in contact with God's Word. You remember a few, well, a few, now it's been a number of months back, uh, one, one time we looked at a man named Philemon. We looked at Philemon's testimony. And we saw the story of where Paul... Uh, stepped into the life of Philemon, his friend, and he said, Philemon, I've uh, got a slave that's coming back your direction, Onesimus. And he said, uh, I want you to judge him as a brother in Christ. Don't judge him just as a slave. I know you have a right to judge him, to punish him. Indeed, you have authority to even kill him. But I don't want you to do any of those things. I want you to judge him as a brother in Christ because he is a changed being. He is a new person in Christ. So I want you to give him a break. 
I want you to reach out in love to this one. You know, the scripture in here, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, does not say, do not judge. It says, do not judge before you've looked clearly at your own life. You've looked clearly at who you are. You've taken the beam out of your own eye before you dare to look at someone else. If we only seek our rights or our retribution for the misdeeds of others, we only tie ourselves up in disappointment and sorrow. We may gain the whole world and still lose our own soul in the whole process as we're seeking what we think of as justice. Paul understood that. So he reminded Philemon, don't get wrapped up in justice by your definition. Reach out in love and care. Realize that there was a weakness that's been seen in Onesimus, and now he's coming back home with a new goal. Bernie, Smoother, uh, Bernie Spooner, a guy that was a, a minister in, Texas, in Oklahoma and Texas area back a number of years ago, uh, was quite an interesting fellow, quite an interesting minister. He had a very interesting way of looking at life. Um, and each day, I would have to say again, we need to decide how we're going to look at life as we make decisions and judgments for what is right and what is wrong, what's good and what is bad, what is healthy and what is unhealthy. Those decisions we all make every day. We all are judging. The question is, how do we judge? The Scripture seeks to remind us to learn to make good Christian decisions. That means we have to have the value system of a Christian when we're making our decisions. At the same time, it reminds us that the negative habit of most people is to look down on the way others will see uh, ourselves and do things in a different kind of an approach. We usually tend to think that our perspective is the appropriate perspective and anybody else's is the one with more question. Bernie was a very interesting guy because he would get out into society, bump into an issue, see someone losing their temper, getting angry over this matter, over that matter, and his first question was always, I wonder what happened to that guy today. I wonder what his wife said to him this morning before he left the house. I wonder if someone has been bad to him this day. I wonder what his problem is. Instead of saying, jerk, his response was, I feel sorry for this guy. What's wrong with him? I wonder what his problem is. How can I help him? You know, when you see people do things or you hear people say things and gear it toward you, we tend to defend ourselves. We tend to jump on the issue. Bernie was challenging the issue by saying, that person's heart has a problem. That person's heart is not adequately being uh, cared for. Bernie saw the beam in his own eye. And therefore, he did not hold the splinter in another person's eye as that important. Chapter 7, verse 6 says, in the description of this kind of judgment, it moves on and it says that there are sacred things and pearls of great value. 
We recognize that dogs and pigs, that's the description that the Scripture uses, are usually considered less than wonderful animals. You know, in the, when the time the Scripture was written, dogs were really more scavengers than they were pets. Uh, so it was a kind of a different uh, understanding. And certainly pigs, by Mosaic law, were very much uh, unclean animals. And so these animals were not animals that you would normally seek out or desire. And so the description, uh, that's, the description that's used to say that you don't give your best of anything in, and give it to those kind of animals is pretty clear. It's just simply saying what you have of value, you need to treasure. And be it an apologetical approach or a missionary zeal, the gospel is our pearl. And it's not to be forced upon anyone. You know, I know as a, a missionary, it's always a burden to try to share the gospel with other people. But sharing the gospel is one thing. Forcing others to say yes or no when they're really not seriously prepared is not a wise thing. And it often can bring confusion for them. There were times in the Scripture when Jesus, for example, did not talk to Herod in Luke 23. When Paul also controlled himself and rejected sharing on of the Word. Um, Matthew 10:16 says, Behold, and I send you a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Not all will receive our pearls well, nor understand our sacred gifts. We need to present our sacred gifts, but we cannot force people to accept or not. I remember a number of years ago, I was flying on an airplane, which in my previous life was quite common. I was on planes all the time. But I remember getting on a plane one day and had a lady sitting beside me, and she was, we got off, conversation was going along nicely. And then suddenly she, she asked me what I was doing and where I was working, and I started sharing a little bit about that, and she got angrier and angrier. And the reason was, she was talking about life in Asia and what a beautiful culture it was. And started going off into this beautiful culture that was Asia and how the people were wonderful. And the society was so pretty. I guess she'd seen many, many pictures of Wongsan or something, uh, Yellow Mountain or whatever. I don't know what really hooked her on this thing. But then she said, why do you Christians take the gospel to a culture that doesn't need it? It was a good challenge for me to have to start thinking through what it means to say a culture that doesn't need it. For her, the physical environment represented a need, yes or no, for spiritual things. For me, that had nothing to do with it. You know, over the years, I've met people who have served as missionaries in different locations. And it's amazing how much respect and appreciation people have for those people who go and serve in missionary service in places that financially are backward. Uh, you're very deprived for this kind of uh, need or that kind of thing. When I started living and working in different parts of China and, and was doing a lot with house church training and was going back to these country villages and staying for weeks at a time, I would get all these people that were really thinking, okay, now you're being a real missionary. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, 
To be a real missionary, it may be that the more real missionaries, the ones that live in New York City, the ones that live in Chicago, the ones that live in Vancouver, Toronto, places where the cities are big and the people become harder and harder in their hearts towards spiritual things. Sure, they've got the comfortable life, but comfortable life so often lets us box our Christianity into one little section of who we are and it doesn't integrate into our identity. We treat ourselves as Christian because on Sunday we do church. But in fact, it does not impact our values, our morals, and the decisions we make. This scripture in Matthew 7 says, our walk needs to be because of integrated faith. Our decision-making, not, not so much what we know, but who we are. Our being has to be impacted by all that we do know. Not a simple matter. As we look at Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12, it says, God answers our prayers as we ask and expect of Him. So it's telling us that prayer is important. Prayer shows dependency on God, not just on yourself. We are God's children, and He desires to give us what He desires. And it's His decision. I remember a number of years ago, I was driving, uh, going, I was in Taipei, in Taiwan, and was going to a school called Zhongyuan Daishui. And Zhongyuan Daishui, Zhongyuan Daihok, is located outside of the city of Taipei, probably an hour, hour and a half away. And I was trying to get to this place. I didn't know the roads. And believe me, if you've ever been on, if you've ever heard of a maze, the roads of Taiwan are a maze. Um, and I'm not saying amazement. I'm saying just M-A-Z-E, maze. And I started going. I went to, and every place you'd go, you know, you just, you, you, you'd written down sort of the directions. This was, I know for those of you who are younger, there was a pre-GPS time period in life that existed for some of us. And uh, I was trying my best to get to this place. And I looked up on the side of the road, and I saw this guy repairing his motorcycle. And I pulled up beside him, and I asked him, I said, you know, I'm trying to get to this place out here. I have no idea where it is. How did I get there? He, he was continuing to work on his motorcycle, and he said, he started trying to talk, and then he said, wait just a minute. And he just, then he just started working. He, and I guess about three or four minutes later, he finished. He said, the best thing to do, just follow me and I'll lead you there. And when he led me there, I followed his little motorcycle. We went up this way, we took a left, then we took a right, we took another left. Then we went over two street, took another right, then went back. It was the strangest directions I'd ever seen. But I kept thinking the whole way we were going, wow. If I was back home in Hong Kong and I asked somebody to give me directions, I'm about 99% sure they would have said, just go off the road a little bit further to ask somebody else. The likelihood of them actually saying, follow me, and them taking 15 minutes out of their day one way to, to guide me was pretty, pretty small. That was just not going to happen. You know, the illustration that reminds me of, of God in all His love, because um, He sometimes goes beyond what we would expect, if we will ask Him. If we don't ask, we don't ever expect to get. 
you know, you ask him and his, his reward is always greater than you can expect. Matthew seven thirteen to 14, going on with the scripture, it says narrow and wide gates exist. Two extremes. The scripture in itself is the challenge. Christian fact is that this, uh, that, w- that we all make choices each and every day. This scripture is trying to teach us that our decision making needs to be founded on, on a standard that is of God. In Matthew, uh, it says in verse 22, verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Indeed, the rest of this chapter, we can see choices, choices, and choices. Chapter 7, 13, 14, two gates, two destinations, two trees, two fruits, two groups of judgment, two foundations. Decision-making is all around us every day. You, every day, literally make thousands of decisions. There are some that are big, some that are small, but you're making decisions all the time. My wife and I lived in Chongqing. And while there, we had a a friend, uh, one of the students, that became a believer. And um, after she became a believer... Uh, she began to come to our home for Bible study and go to other people's homes and uh, had some great challenges in her life uh, because of her faith. She didn't know any better. She actually believed that God would protect her. And that, that doesn't know any better was a kind of a joke at that point because, in fact, her not knowing showed her faith. But she would... Um, uh, be be pretty bold some of the time in places where I would have probably been a little bit more conservative. But uh, the long and short of it was she had an opportunity then to come on this side of the world to do further study. She finished her bachelor's degree, came to the United States, and has been studying in a course called a Master of Arts in Global Leadership. Master of Arts in Global Leadership is a glorified missions degree. It's a degree, it's for global leadership, true. But within the program are a lot of different courses that help to train her how to become the kind of Christian she wants to be. And so she's taking courses in that, and she's in her uh, second year, I guess, at this point, doing well. And this summer, she had an opportunity to go overseas with her school uh, to do a short-term mission trip. And so she went for several weeks and had a marvelous time. In fact, they were there nearly a month. Then after that, she flew from there back to China. So she's, she's in China right now and will be there for the next few weeks. I got some, uh, some contacts from her a couple of days ago, and she was just sharing with me some of her reality. She's returned to China to find what we already had warned her about. Her mother and father are not Christians. Her brothers and sisters, cousins, friends, uncles, aunts, everybody that she knows, basically, that none of them are believers. And so she's returned to an environment where, unlike where she was doing missionary work for the one month prior to this, now she's back in an environment where relatives and friends are much more hostile toward what she has to say. 
She thought she would be bringing such a wonderful story about how she's been working on her master's degree and how God has been doing all these great things. See, she's been somewhat living in a Christian bubble. She's pulled away and in the bubble there's a lot of security. Now she's stepped back into the real world of her relatives and friends and her own society and realized, not so easy. But she's made the decision to do this because it was important. She understands that there is a narrow gate and a wide gate, and she has chosen the narrow gate. But she admits this is much more difficult than what she thought it was going to be. The reason I mention that to you and, and myself is to say, Truly following Christ as Lord, not just Savior, but as Lord, is no small matter. And if we don't believe that, we can also enjoy looking at the Scripture in Matthew 6, I mean, Acts chapter 6 to 8, where Stephen is stoned to death for his faith. The cost of discipleship, the cost of being a true Christian has never been cheap. Matthew 7, verse 15 to 23. The tree and its fruit. Brothers and sisters, this is where the Scripture gets pretty tough. We live in a challenging day when nothing is as it seems. We can wish that we lived in a world and whatever people said was truly the fact. We know this in our mind, but naively forget that we must test the ground of what is grown. The Scripture says in Acts twenty twenty nine, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Dangers that come from without are easily recognized, but those greatest dangers often come from within. Matthew seven twenty says clearly, Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. These are Christ's words. Ultimately, false prophets, teachers, leaders, they look like sheep. They look like evangelicals, but they are not. These people appear biblical and seem to say the right things. Due to our poor training, some of these people often will find themselves in our circle. And some of the time, we ourselves cannot distinguish which ones are true and which ones are false. The United States had an election a few years back, and a man by the name of Mitt Romney um, defined himself as a Christian Mormon or a Mormon Christian. I can't remember the term. But the emphasis was to say that Mormonism was Christian. And he actually received a great deal of uh, support and the endorsement of many Christians. Many large church, big name Christian leadership. They were looking and comparing the alternatives that existed. One of the alternatives was Obama. One of the alternatives was Mitt Romney. And the people were looking at his moral standards. And they were saying, you know, this is a man who uh, presents high family values. He's a man that presents uh, values that we can accept. He presented the Mormon cause as an insider of Christianity. 
I don't know how you feel about that, but I do want to remind us a few things. Just using the word Lord, Lord in the Scripture, it tells us very much is not good enough. Multiple times, Matthew 25, 1 to 13, we have the story of the foolish virgins. As they turn and they say, Lord, Lord. The word Lord can mean much quite different than truly Lord of my life. And according to the Scripture in Matthew, the word Lord, Lord was used. But in fact, the truth was not found therein in, how, in what was actually being said. When we think of the Mormons, I want you to at least be aware of the following. The Mormons have some of the following teachings. That uh, in order to gain their highest heaven, you know, they have three kinds of heaven. Uh, but in, in order to gain their highest heaven, one must pay a full and honest tithe. Now, tithing, 10%, is something we teach too. But we don't say it impacts whether you go to heaven or not. Their, their scripture goes on and it says that when a person dies, they will either go to spirit paradise or spirit prison and there await a second coming. The current prophet of the Mormon church is much like the Catholic church's pope in that he can speak ex cathedra. In other words, he can speak for God. And so when he represents the church... He can say things that says, this is equal to any scripture. The Book of Mormon, of course, you know, is a book that takes place in America. It was written, at the t they say it was written at the same time as the Bible. It follows the stories of two tribes of Indians who descended from the family of Lehi. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus visited the peoples of America before he went to heaven. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are three individuals. They do not believe in the Trinity. And these three individuals have bone and flesh, as well as their angels also have bone and flesh. There are three heavens that you can uh, reach, and uh, that, they, that is also a hierarchical system within their structure. Baptism, you know, we often think, wow, the Mormon church is so amazing with their wonderful um, sites where you can go and study uh, your historical roots and, and learn about all kinds of family uh, uh, ancestors and this type of thing. In fact, of course, we know it's tied to baptism because you have to be baptized in a Mormon church to have any hope of going to heaven. And so they are baptized for the dead as a result and baptized over and over and over on behalf of those who have already died and didn't know any better. And of course, I guess one of the keys that I remember in Mormonism is that if you're a good Mormon, you too can become a god and be in charge of your own universe. Now to call that... Christian Mormonism, I'm sorry, that's difficult for me to accept. And yet, within the circle of Christianity, did, they, did he present himself? And most Americans didn't know the difference. 
Several years ago, I was in China working and had some friends that were kidnapped by a group called Eastern Lightning. Similar kind of situation there with Eastern Lightning. People didn't know what was going on. And uh, this group of 46 men were kidnapped. But the goal was to change their theology and who they were and what they believed. We must know what we believe. We must learn. But by our fruits, people can distinguish. By what we live, people can see what is true. Matthew 20, uh, chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Wise and foolish builders, the end of the Scripture says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell. Our challenge today, very clear. What do we do with what we know? Brothers and sisters, our our scripture here is very, very clear. It's not about what we have studied. It's about the choices we make. My prayer for you is that your decision making is not based on the society in which we live. For what is successful, what is a failure, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is tall, what is short... My prayer is that we will look to God as our model and our standard. That's what our challenge is for us, even as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank You that You have given us Your instructions. We thank You for clarity. We thank You for the fact that these instructions are not beyond our understanding. At the same time, Father, we ask that you would make us bold servants, bold Christians to value your thinking and your ideas above anything we experience on a daily basis in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.